good evening, everyone. Great to see you folks tonight. And uh, as always, thank you for coming out on Wednesday night for Bible study. And uh, I have something that I would like to share with you in just a few moments. And I'm sure to none of you that comes as a surprise. But I'm glad to see you tonight. And uh, those of you following, uh, watching on live stream, Facebook Live, we welcome you as well. But we do want to open the service tonight. We have a couple of announcements uh, that we need to make. And um, this coming Sunday, we're going to be uh, honoring some people. And um, I'm struggling right now to remember who that is. Anybody have any ideas tonight? Okay. Who? Oh, Mother's. That's right. Mother's Day. That's right. I, you think I really forgot about that? Do you know? what it would be like for me after service tonight if I truly forgot about that. We'll be honoring all of our mothers uh, this coming Sunday. And uh, so be prepared for that. And uh, we want to certainly celebrate uh, this wonderful, wonderful day. On uh, Sunday, May the 15th, our graduates will be honored in the 11 a.m. service. And uh, if you are graduating from school, college, certainly let the church office know and uh, we'll certainly be happy to give you the recognition that you're worthy of. And uh, if you would, stay tuned with what's happening at Grace Church via our church app or by clicking the events tab on uh, the Grace Church website. And uh, they'll keep you up to speed with everything that's going on at Grace Church. What a great time we had here Sunday. I love to take a moment and reflect uh, over our Sunday service. thought the Spirit of the Lord moved here. Uh, in just a, a tremendous, tremendous way. And then, uh, as um, you know, we had our Move the Mission uh, cake auction after the service. And, um, <clears throat> and one way, we don't have more people here tonight. But in another way, we do have more people here tonight as a result of that cake auction Sunday. I don't know how to say that any nicer. And uh, if your clothes didn't fit the same as they did when you got up and dressed for Sunday, um, that's your fault. You're the one that went over there and bought all that stuff and took it home and ate it. So, but it was amazing, absolute amazing success. I want to thank Tanya for doing such a phenomenal job and putting that together. And uh, I think we raised close to $4,000 is what I understand uh, this past Sunday, and that is amazing. So thank you very much for that. And uh, uh, Sister Murph and I went pretty light, just on a, uh, some rolls that Brother Landry made and some cream puffs. We've learned that if you buy four or five cakes, it's, you eat a piece or two of it, and it just sits on the counter after a while. I do like the idea of everybody buying something, and then let's get together when it's over, and let's share some slices. And you can take a more variety home, kind of do a dessert buffet. And I uh, think that's something to consider for our Move the Mission cake auction next summer. Uh, so thank you for all of you that, that uh, certainly baked things and brought them out. That's tremendous of you. Thank you so very much. And then for all of us that went over and gladly purchased it, uh, thank you folks as well. Thank the Lord. Sunday was a great day here at Grace Church, and I'm very, very thankful for it. Uh, I want to jump into our Bible study. If you would tonight, remember uh, Kids Church going on here tonight, youth services going on tonight as well. And uh, 
I especially miss our students when they're not in here with us, but as you know, on the first Wednesday of every month, they have youth service next door, and tonight I understand they're introducing music from our JV band, and uh, I'm thrilled about that. And uh, I'll take a, a few times to get all that tweaked and up and running, but I am sure excited to hear that our students will be, they'll play the keyboard, they'll play the drums, the bass, the guitar, everything, they're doing it all over there tonight, and I'm sure they're gonna do an amazing job. <clears throat> they are realizing, Owen, we'll see you later, buddy. Glad you got word. <laughs> it took a few minutes. Did y'all notice that? It's, oh, yeah. Uh, that was classic. Uh, this will be a Wednesday night that we won't soon forget, will we? Uh, but actually, our young people are realizing, living and manifesting uh, to a great degree what I want to present to you all here tonight. Uh, they are absolutely discovering their purpose, and they are pursuing it with tremendous, tremendous passion. Uh, I believe it was this past Sunday I mentioned to you, maybe it was just to another group, I, I don't remember, uh, but one of, our, one of our students said, I just don't understand why people don't want to be in church, and I just can't wait to the next church service. And it doesn't matter if it's a Wednesday or a Sunday. Uh, as a matter of fact, if we're not having a, a service and someone across town is, they'll go to that service. Just can't get enough church of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And I am supremely thankful for that. I would far rather them desire this than all the other stuff going on in the world. And everybody said amen to that. <clears throat> uh, I want to talk to you tonight, and I'm doing this because uh, we are working very hard as we have returned uh, back to our campus from the COVID shutdown and, and all that sluggishness. Uh, our church has really began zooming in a, a wonderful, wonderful direction that I am just thrilled about. And um, we're meeting with some of our church leadership and so on. Some of you here tonight have been involved in some of that. And we are uh, beginning to plot a course for vision uh, where we would like to be uh, over the next months and even years, uh, working very closely with some folks about that. And hopefully here in the next uh, few weeks, we'll be rolling out some things uh, <clears throat> that, uh, that we will reinstitute, that we will be bringing to Grace Church either again or brand new for the very first time. Um, the presentation that I'm making here tonight is preparing the way for that. Uh, I am happy to say that as you look at what we would absolutely consider the core group of this church, uh, our core group is involved in this church. On some level, uh, the core group of this church is involved. Uh, several people do numerous things. Uh, but we still have some that I know deep down inside you are passionately wanting to be involved here at Grace Church on some level. There's things you would like to do. There's things that you could do. And uh, I want to challenge you tonight. We may be uh, meeting with some of you, talking to some of you. Don't anybody get scared. Uh, we don't guilt trip and all of that. You all should know that. But there are folks that, that we may need to solicit your help. 
I've, I've mentioned it last Wednesday night, we, we have a, a, a very serious uh, staff shortage at here at Grace Church. There's, there's groups of people pulling on us uh, to do things, and, and we're, we're seeking leadership people that are willing uh, to pour their heart into it and give it all they've got. So I say this once in a while, and I'll say it again. If we approach you in the near future and say, would you do so-and-so, such-and-such at Grace Church, a resounding absolutely yes would be wonderful. Well, I thought that was a good positive direction for our church, and we'd have some little excitement about that, that we're growing, and we need some more help, and I hear crickets chirping. And um, so, well, you get the point, and uh, we, will, we will pursue uh, as the very near future unfolds, and I think you folks are going to be very thankful and, and very happy about some things that we're planning. Um, we want to, first and foremost, we want to relaunch uh, small groups again, and um, so help us pray about it, and we're going to need a lot of help to make that happen. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about why I am here. Um, this is the title of my presentation tonight, and I would like for you to ask yourself that question. Why I am here. Mark Twain said, and I absolutely love this statement, the two most important days in your life is the day you were born and the day you find out why. The two most important days in your life. <clears throat> I don't believe there's anybody here tonight that just wants to completely waste your life. And we realize that God wants us. Um, God is interested in everybody here tonight. He wants our life. God wants desperately to be in relationship with us on his terms. I know a lot of married people that would really, really enjoy their marriage a whole lot more if their spouse was into that relationship on mutual terms and not on a selfish term. God wants the same thing. I believe, first, first of all, number one, top of the list, God wants to be in a relationship with us on his terms. I want everybody to understand tonight, I'm not teaching generically. We've tried this before, and it seemingly did not work, doesn't work. But I would love nothing more to have everybody in this room up in these first two sections from the first five or six rows, first row, five or six row back. So I could come down on the floor and we could talk real personal here tonight. I don't believe that anybody here wants to waste your life. I believe you realize that God is interested in you. No matter what your past has been like, no matter who your parents are, all that. We've taught that, we've preached that, etc. The second thing is in order to come into this full relationship that God wants to have with us, it takes discipline. We like to hear faith a whole lot more. We like to hear faith taught, preached a whole lot more. Discipline is not real high on our priority list, we think. Um, discipline has to do with obedience, and um, we're not always interested in that subject, even though that's the most vital part of our relationship with God. Uh, we need to understand that, that time needs to be devoted 
to the connection we have with God, the friendship that we have with God. Number three, and I taught this last Wednesday night, is we owe it to Calvary. Who here tonight really believes that I don't have to be more in my relationship with God that Calvary really wasn't that big of a deal? If there's anybody here tonight that really believes that, we need to have another Bible study before we have this one. But I don't believe there's anybody here tonight that believes that. We all understand Calvary. We understand to some degree what Jesus went through, and there's nobody here tonight standing in line waiting on your turn to go through all of that. Neither am I. I'm glad he took my place, and I'm sure you're glad he took your place as well. We owe it to Jesus to be the best we can be, to volunteer on whatever level is required, to do whatever it is we have to do, to commit whatever level he wants us to commit. We owe that to him, and he never can ask too much. I don't believe God can ever ask too much. So to talk to you tonight about why am I here, I'd like for us to focus on this all-important question as to why I was born The second question of significance that I'll ask tonight is, does my life matter? The third question of intention is, what is my purpose? So, why was I born? Does my life matter? If it does, and it does, then what is my purpose? I want to stimulate your thinking. I want to stimulate your prayer life tonight. People have fretted, especially in the church culture over these three questions ever since the beginning of time. We can choose a career, we can choose a mate, we can choose how many kids we want. Occasionally a few more come after we've gotten the number we want, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, We make all these important decisions about the house we want to live in, about the cars we want to drive. We make all these important decisions. But when it comes to a relationship with God, And how God can use our life, it's like we hit an impasse. I just can't figure it out. We don't ever feel qualified. We don't ever feel like we can contribute anything. So people have fretted over these questions, especially in church. And um, in fact, I even understand Eve in the the Garden of Eden. I, I, I understand the fact that she was insecure about whether her life had any meaning. Adam had to continually reassure her that you're the only woman for me. There's no one else, Eve, trust me. I'm so glad y'all are listening. That makes me feel so good. I tried to say that as serious as I could, and every one of you got it. So this is our first question of existence. Why? Am I alive? Jeremiah gave this lament in chapter 20, verse 18. He said, Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame, he said. One translation said, Why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow and to end my life in disgrace? There's a lot of people who feel that way. I have no reason, legitimate reason, that I can tell you for my being born. If you go back and read this entire passage, you find that Jeremiah is emotionally lost. He's irrevocably called to be a prophet, and a prophet, a literal messenger of doom. And that, we all know, is such a thankless task. 
His friends had betrayed him. His enemies are, are on his trail 24-7. The message God gives him to share is a wretched one falling on deaf ears. So even one of God's chosen few, a man as prolific as Jeremiah was, even one of God's chosen few can wonder about the purpose of life, especially his. From a couple of modern-day philosophers and writers, one admitted, my life is a superb cast, but I, I can't figure out the plot. A man named Jack Harley put it this way, I hope life isn't a joke because I don't get it. Some people fall into a materialism mindset and begin spending their entire lives at various retail stores or on eBay and such such things as all of that, gadgets, things, fun. They indulge themselves in pleasure and sex and vacations and drugs and gourmet food, all of that. King Solomon went down that road. Yes, he did. Rock stars who have all of those things in abundance are often found dead in a hotel room with a rope tied around their neck hanging from a ceiling. I preached a message several years ago and ended it with a long list of people that fit this description. Many times we seek fulfillment through success and achievement and we like to get a, and we all like to get an Olympic gold medal because for the rest of your life that defines you. I used to have a neighbor where we lived in Wisteria Lakes that was Olympic uh, medalist. Not sure it was the gold, but it was one of the top three uh, in track in the late 50s. I was very sad to say to him when he asked me point blank, have you ever heard of me? Um, you won that medal around the time I was born. So, no, I, I haven't heard, heard of you. Very sad to say that. But um, you have a, people can have a World Series ring. You can be the Iron Man. You can be the, the football champion, all of that. But on the same hand, teams lose in sports. Sometimes they win and then tumble to the last place the following year. If we find fulfillment from things, I listen to me, if we find fulfillment from things, then we find that there are just never enough things. Everybody said amen. Kids often ask where babies come from. The scenario is good for some cute fumbling on the part of their parents. Actually, they and we should want to know a much deeper thing is why are there babies? Not just where do they come from, but why are there babies? What does God, why does God keep causing new children to show up in this world? What is their purpose of existence? For you and for me, I think we all know how babies get here, but why should be our main question. Why are they, are they here? Why does God place us in this precarious world? Why are we here? And even if you've ever read through The Purpose Driven Life, you'll discover by the second chapter a huge paradigm shift. The whole argument is turned around. We're not here for any purpose of ours. None at all. Instead, all of us, across the board, according to the Word of God, was created for God's purpose. He put us here for His reasons, 
for his purposes to meet needs and goals and objectives that are his, not ours. To ask, why am I here and be thinking of myself as I ask the question is simply beside the point. We're not here for our purpose. We're here for his purpose. Here's our fundamental verse for today. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, whether we get our head around this or not does not change or dilute the truth of it. But the wise man said, The Lord hath made all things, all things, for himself. That includes us. We were made for his purpose. God's word tells us in Psalm 139 that we are not an accident. God has never made anything without a purpose. God planned me. He planned you. He planned everything about you. God knew how and when and where you would be born. Yes, he did. He also is fully aware of the length of your days, including the exact time of your birth and the exact time of your death. He knows all of that. That doesn't mean that God predestines the good and bad things that come to us. Good people are killed all the time, and our loving Heavenly Father is not the creator of those tragedies. Sometimes, as cold and heartless as it sounds, life truly does happen. It does. Babies come into this world every day conceived outside of the framework of God's perfect will and People leave this world under tragic circumstances every single day. But faithful, born-again Christian people, committed, loyal children of God, should be ready to live in this kingdom or the next one. And so I believe God in His master design does allow some sad events to be among the random appearing tragedies that the body of Christ has to bear. We have freedom of choice, and God has his loving will, and we do have the enemy who comes in at midnight and sows the weeds in God's garden, and somehow the flowers and the weeds blend together in a way that we just have to accept. I do know that hit-and-run drivers don't hit God's people without God's reluctant permission. (laughs) Say that sincerely. That being said, I want to say quickly in passing, we've all heard people say that when someone passes away, uh, that they they passed doing what they love to do. Y'all ever heard that before? Hand raised would be nice. Okay. So-and-so died what they loved doing. I would hate that to happen to me. What would you do? If I died doing what I love to do and I just fall down on this platform floor and you have to watch that. What about the kind of deaths that come to people that we don't think is wonderful? The, the, the alcoholic that drinks himself to death, do we say that he died doing what he loved to do? And somewhere up in the sky, there's Alcoholics Anonymous that's trying to help him out right now. I just think 
that when we say people died what they love to do, we need to make sure we frame that statement just right. Y'all on board? I love to do this to you folks, and y'all walk into it, you sit into it every time. The facial expressions that I'm getting right now, are, and that's why I do it, it's just to get that, that expression that's worth it to me, to go down one of these little rabbit holes and catch you folks completely off guard, it's just worth it to me. <clears throat> so back to the very sober moment we just had, that I don't believe tragic things happen to God's people without God's very reluctant permission. But in the meantime, we are here for God's purpose, not ours. And there's at least five of them, and we're going to look at these things together as quickly as we can. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it tells us the whole story. Paul said, according as he hath joined, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. One translation said, long before he laid down the earth's foundation, he had us in his mind and settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Beautiful statement. I believe moms and dads have babies so that they can love them. But in a much greater way, God does that here. We are here for his purpose and his purpose is to lavish his love on us, to flood us with his love, to bathe us in it, to redeem us through it, to restore us through it. He made us in order that we could be the objects of his divine love. A man and his wife are supposed to go out to dinner with some friends one evening. They were supposed to go one evening. The husband doesn't want to go, but she refuses to cancel. They've postponed it twice already, so tensions are running high. She's out by the car all dressed up, fit to kill, while he's still inside putting on a tie. And when he comes out, she's crying. And he says, what's the matter? And she tells him, I accidentally locked the keys in the car. Well, he just blows up, as you can imagine, a Mount St. Helens moment. And he shouts at her and says, how could God make somebody so beautiful so stupid and she comes right back at him and says God made me beautiful so you would marry me and he made me stupid so that I would marry you <laughs> so God made us nonetheless God made us us so that he could love us then we have the question of significance. Does my life matter? If I don't write a new book each year or pastor a church that is continually growing or run some medical practice that makes me and my partners wealthy, am I a failure? It's interesting that the prophet Jeremiah wonders, and so does Isaiah. They wonder the same thing. Notice Isaiah said, Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Elijah felt the same way after a lifetime of serving God. <clears throat> There's a story 
from World War II where the Nazis forced prisoners to take all this rubble from a blown-up factory and move it from point A to point B. The next day, they'd take the same wheelbarrows and put all the debris and bricks back at point A and then back across the street to point B, back and forth, day after day. They were just keeping the prisoners busy, literally wearing them out and breaking their will. Some of the inmates with no purpose in their life, just being mocked by the Germans for the emptiness of what they had to do, got suicidal. Some of them actually tried to simply jump in front of the Gestapo guards waiting to get shot to live a life without purpose, without significance to them was worse than death. Psychologist tells us we can exist on different levels. One is survival, just enduring. I think about refugee kids in the camps in certain parts of the world, virtually no food, no water, their parents are dead, rapists lurk everywhere, people pillaging. All they can do is hang on to a thread of life and hope. But another is success. Most of us live there because we really are the chosen people of God. And it seems like everybody has money, everybody has a home and a job. We're in the top five percentile of comfort for the entire planet. But are we really happy? It takes more than surviving and success to give us a purpose in life. And our world history, even real his recent history, has proven that. So do we matter? Well, God made us because he wanted someone to love, but there's more than that. Notice that the Bible tells us in Isaiah 44 and verse 2, God said, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. And God piles on the good news with this. His investment for us is for eternity. Psalm 33, 11 says his plans endure forever and his purposes last eternally. I'm telling somebody here tonight that you are more important and have more significance than you think, than you've ever dreamed of. And just because you've experienced a recent failure on whatever level, it could be job, it could be parenting, it could be marriage, it could be family, it could be anything. It doesn't matter what level of failure you may have experienced in your life that makes you feel diminished and worthless and hopeless and I just attend church and hope God saves me someday. That is not true about any of us. It's not. God says to each of us, you were made to last forever. And this speaks volumes to us about our value. You and I make little baby promises to each other all the time and you know things like well I'll call you tonight and uh, or I'll, I'll come and help you around the house Saturday or uh, I'll, I'll meet up with you for the holidays I'll, I'll I'll call you this week for lunch I hear that from preachers all the time man we need to get together I'm gonna call you we make all these little baby promises all the time but I believe the second biggest promise we ever make is on our wedding day when we tell somebody, for as long as we both shall live, as long as we're both here, I'll be here for you, I'll love you that long. The duration of purpose gives dramatic power to that purpose. 
And we, we sometimes miss that point in our relationship with God. I'm going to make that statement again. I want you to get your head around it. The duration of purpose gives dramatic power to that purpose. God is loving us forever. He's made a commitment to us forever. God's commitment to us don't end next week, next month, next year when we die. It doesn't end there. God has made an eternal promise and commitment to us. Do you understand the power that that gives, that purpose? God never stops loving us. He don't have the capacity to do that. Even the people we don't like, he loves. Even the people we hate, he loves. So when we're on this earth for God's purposes, for God to love, we're also here to learn these five specific purposes he has for us. You'll see it on the screen. Number one is worship. Number two is fellowship. Number three is discipleship. Number four is ministry. Number five is mission. These are the five specific purposes that he has for us. We, pri we prioritize worship in this church. We prioritize fellowship in this church. We prioritize discipleship and ministry and mission and so on. But how many of us are really living up to our capabilities in, in satisfying God's expectations? I say that all of us could do just a little bit more. I don't want to put in the, I, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't like the guilt trip thing, but I do know when our boss asks us to work more overtime, we jump on it because we make more money. And, uh, if your spouse bugs you enough, you'll take him or her or go with him or her out to eat somewhere, go to that special place out of town or whatever. We find the time to do what we want to do. So when God asks against the backdrop of Calvary, against the backdrop of this eternal commitment to us, could you do just a little more? What are we going to say? All of these things are designed with the idea that we're going to live for eternity, our relationship with God doesn't stop here. Every time a believer attends a funeral, he or she is reminded of the promise of everlasting life. For a child of God, death is just that briefest of flickers, just a moment, the twinkling of an eye, and then life in God's kingdom continues. I told Sister Murphy the other day, we, we heard about someone passing away, and I said, I just would to God that we could just see a little clearly, understand a little bit deeper about what happens at that moment. I'm sure Brother Richard has spent many, many hours laying in bed at night wondering what Sandra's doing right now. We don't have those answers, but we have the promise of it. And that should somehow make us understand even more this amazing commitment. God committed to Sandra Taylor. He did. He committed to her. And when her time came, he took her. But he didn't fail on that commitment. I don't believe he can. I don't believe God has capacity to do it. And all of us here tonight, I, 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 I preached my mother's funeral for crying out loud. God made a commitment to her and he followed that through. And I lay in bed at night and I wonder what she's doing. 
what's it like for her now? So if we had an opportunity to engage anybody's desires the most, should not it be his? Not only will you and I live forever, but we will never know anything else but life, according to God's promise. There's no such thing for the Christian as being dead and knowing that you're dead. And in terms of your soul and your awareness, you will always be alive. We, we grieve over the dead. We do. I still miss my mother. Somebody recently sent me a picture of my dad. We finally figured out where the picture was taken. It's probably in the late 60s. And I sometimes walk around the house and my heart gets really emotional. And so I'd give anything to spend five minutes with the man. If nothing else, just tell him what I'm doing. He died when I was 16 for crying out loud. And I'd love to tell him what I'm doing and where I live and about my wife that he never met and certainly my kids he never met, my wonderful grandkids he never met and the church I pastor and all. I'd love to tell him all of that. I know in our way of describing it, he's dead. But in God's sight, he's not. He just changed addresses as the song says. So there's no such thing for the Christian as being dead. In terms of your soul and your awareness, you will always be alive. There's nothing to fear. Paul said, death wears our sting, grave wears our victory. But what this means is that our life here on earth, our purpose here, is just the briefest of warm-up acts. We, we will be in God's love as his treasure, his trophy for eternity. Here, here we are. And there will be the same. Someone said, this is kindergarten. This is preschool. This is just spring training. C.S. Lewis calls this entire journey on planet Earth one small false step, one misstep as we start out, one tiny stumble. Then we pick ourselves up, thank God for caring for us, and begin the real glorious journey. Our whole life here is just that first baby step. But we learn about our purpose here so we can Please God by living them through living his, his commandments throughout the ceaseless ages. We sometimes look at pictures on the screen of that image of Daniel 2. I remember it. The head of gold, the arms of silver. Uh, on and on it goes. These great world empires lasting hundreds of years. But then comes a stone cut out of a mountain, the side of a mountain without hands, and it fills up the universe, and it's God's kingdom. And it's that bold, stark reminder again that God's kingdom is the one that lasts forever. And thank God we're a part of it. So this is hugely significant. We, You are hugely significant. I am. You are more significant than a whole entire nation. The United States of America that has existed for less than 250 years, you're going to outlive that. You're going to live that. You're going to live for an eternity, for crying out loud. We're, we're going to achieve things in that lifespan and have a place in God's heart during that lifespan that, that can't be calculated. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. When this tent we live in, our body here on earth is torn down, God will have a house in heaven for us to live in, a home he himself made, which will last forever. God is committed to his promise to us. He's committed to it. It's an eternal promise. He loves us. We're significant. And he wants us to spend eternity with him. It just seems like against the backdrop of all of that, 
of Calvary and heaven and promise and God never leaving us. When God asks us to do something in His kingdom, that we would say, of course I will. God tells us He's eager to have us with Him and to have us living in His presence forever. If we believe that to be true, then life does have significance. The wise man said, forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. By the way, this also tells us how we should look at one another, forsake the foolish and live and go the way of understanding. Trying to hurry. I didn't mean to be so preachy here tonight. But C.S. Lewis talks about how we just bump up against other people. We work with them and play with them and we say this or that to help or hurt them and What's the big deal about that? Well, that person is going to be forever in one of two kingdoms, either the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of Satan, and it gives cosmic hugeness to our daily encounters that that we're significant, and so are our neighbors, and you and I play a formative and critical role in the lives of others every single day of our lives, Lewis said. So now question number three is about intention. What is my purpose? Why am I here? That's what King David asked God one day in Psalm 89, 47. He said, why did you create us for nothing? Deep down, a number of the most well-known shake-the-fist-at-heaven atheists out there have admitted, if there isn't a God, then our lives here really have no purpose. Frederick Nietzsche studied philosophy, the man you see on the screen. He studied philosophy and spent the last 11 years of his life insane once he realized that. He was an atheist and he realized that if there's not a God, then my life here has no purpose. It literally drove him insane. You look it up on your computer if you remember how to spell his name. Bertrand Russell, one of the most renowned from England, confessed in these words, unless you assume the existence of God, the question of life's meaning and purpose is irrelevant. Atheism takes away the significance because the 70 years are now the proverbial drop in the bucket we get, and also the purpose because there's no design. When we don't know something's purpose, that's when we are prone to use it wrongly. So if we want to know what our purpose is in life, we have to ask the one who made us. We have to look in the owner's manual and go to the word of God for answers. In the beginning, God created us, the Bible said. In Proverbs 9:10. the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. The implication is knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. So we find our purposes by getting to know God. We he, he wants to love me. I find my purpose by placing myself under the umbrella of that love. Paul said in Colossians 1.16, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Paul said in Ephesians 1.11, it it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for, part of the overall purpose He is working out in everything and everyone. I read here and there, and I've waded into the shallow end of the theological pool, and 
Sometimes I, and I'll admit tonight, sometimes I really struggle. I'm as prone to failure as anyone here. But the more I do know about God, the more sure I am of my purpose as this child. The more I know about God, the more I like. I am more in love with the gospel today than I've ever been. If you want to know God's purpose for us, we want to know God's purpose for us. If we, we have to get to know him, you have to get to know him. I can't make it easier than that because that's what it is. Marriages prosper when we know each other. It's the same here. We may wish there was some other plan besides what we already know, which is worship, Bible reading, prayer, fellowship. But the simple truth is that this is how we come to know and, and love someone. That always has been the formula and it always will be the formula. But here's the problem. Here's the problem we all face. I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. I'm just too busy. I mentioned it a moment ago when your boss asked you to work overtime. You'll work it. You, you just can't say no. Um, and all the other thousand things that pull on. I have often had someone say to me, Pastor, I'm just too busy to do all of this. I have people want to step down from leadership roles because their job is too demanding, their marriage is too demanding, their kids are too demanding. And I'm not, I'm not stupid. I wasn't born yesterday. I, I can relate to that feeling. A full day looms, and I don't want to lose that first 15 minutes of it I've had a long week too and I don't want to toss out one whole Tuesday morning coming to prayer or Saturday morning coming to men's prayer even though it's only once per month sometimes I'm even too busy I'm, I'm, I'm working I can't show up on Sunday because of my job I can't show up on Wednesday because of my job you fill in the blank but against this amazing promise that God has made about eternity and this amazing sacrifice he made on Calvary, who has the courage here tonight to tell God no? I know myself well enough to know that when I think that way, I'm thinking small. I'm thinking about right now and not thinking about eternity. I'm not thinking about God's love for me. I'm not thinking about his eternal purposes. I get all of that. Sometimes when your spouse is headed out to work and has something like this ever happened, you get a kiss goodbye and it lasts for about five seconds and you're getting a hug from them and instantly the body language is in the mode of escape and of putting up the roadblocks. <clears throat> I have time to give you a quick kiss before I leave but that's all I have time for today oftentimes we measure our relationship with God in similar ways now you don't stop you don't expect them to stop when they're leaving and kiss you for a half hour although you may suggest that sometimes but it'd be nice just to get that lingering hug and that kiss that may last a total of 15 seconds and they say, honey, let me go. I don't have time, I'm gonna be late. 
and you say, you mean your entire schedule today hinges on that extra 10 seconds. It's that precise. Your whole space-time continuum will collapse if you give me one more little hug and one more little tiny kiss. If God is really real and if what the Bible says that Jesus did on the cross, he really did, and if God's purpose is to love me forever, then it's foolish of me to think that everything revolves around my free few minutes. That thinking is totally upside down and it, it doesn't matter if you say it or if I say it. When we say that, we're wrong. God love us, but we're wrong. We are here about two hours on Sunday and about an hour on Wednesday and three hours a week and for some, that's too much and can't do it. Can't pull it off. Too busy to give God three hours of our week in his house. Here's the last thing. You might be a seasoned Pentecostal Christian born and bred. You might know it already. Or you might be new to this, newer to this. You might be struggling. Your Christian life has just been wiping out in the recent, recent months. Either a lot of sin or a lot of bad habits or just plain messing up through neglect. No matter where we are on this spectrum, God has something special for all of that, all of us. And he's been saying that so loudly this year at Praise Church. He's been saying it so loudly. So if you are a seasoned Christian, he has a new, a whole new deep experience, more than you've ever imagined. If you're a seeker, just checking it out, that's great. There's no obligation. Come and see that the Lord is good. If you've been crashing and burning, welcome home. God has a special place of honor for his prodigal sons and daughters. Makes no difference who you are. Makes no difference where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is always open. Now, I get the impression oftentimes that as time goes on and our culture goes in the direction that it goes, I mentioned this here a while back, it's not a sad story, it's not, not trying to be a martyr, but I think the voice of the pastor gets quieter and quieter and quieter in people's ears and that was good tonight, pastor, and yep, you were right, but I don't plan on changing anything. I see that. I've seen that a lot this year. I want you to know tonight it's not about you. All I am is, as I say sometimes to our freshly newly born babies, I remember saying it to some of yours when they, your kids were just infants. I'm that loud mouth that you've been hearing for the past nine months in your mother's womb. <laughs> but it's not about me. And it's not about you doing what I teach and preach because I said it. It's because that's what the Word of God says, because of what Jesus says. So I'm going to ask all of you here tonight, I would to God it was a Sunday morning and all of our whole church was here, that you can come up with all the excuses you want. I just hope they hold water against Calvary and against heaven the next time you tell God, I can't, I just can't.
I'll confess to you tonight, and I'm closing with this. I have, through in times past, it's ministered to me and helped me, encouraged me, whatever. It's touched a part of my life, of my emotions that just it did something to me several years ago. I enjoyed watching little YouTube clips of when a guy would propose to his girlfriend. It's real and genuine feelings. I mean, some of these guys went all out just to be able to have that two seconds to ask that question. Will you marry me? And I love to watch the response of the, of the young lady and she runs away, she dances, she jumps, she falls out on the floor, she gets on her knees, she hugs him. He can't do anything through this emotional display but sit and stare at this woman that he never saw all of this coming and then he begins thinking who in the world am I about to marry I've never seen her act like that but the question blows her away y'all know what I'm talking about she knows it's coming she just don't know when and oftentimes they manipulate to get that question asked of them and you ladies know how to do that but there's some there are some you can pull them up tonight if you want to you get home that man has poured everything he has into buying that engagement ring and setting up the stage it's beautiful, there's roses there's lights, there's photographer he gets down on one knee and says will you marry me and she says no and turns around and walks away I have suggested to people that I've counseled in pre-marriage that if that happens in front of a group of people, would you say yes to him and then break up later and not humiliate him in front of his family, your family, and all those other people? I cannot imagine how God feels when he fills us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost against the backdrop of what he had to do to make that happen. And we say no to some little old something it wouldn't require more than about an hour a week or maybe every other week depending on what it is maybe once a month we're on a new vision path for Grace Church and I need for Grace Church to be willing to say yes to things that you never thought you could do I'll never forget and I don't want to embarrass Sister Landry and I love her dearly and you all know that Brother Mike and Sister Sheila are amazing people but I'll never forget going to their home and asking her if she could be our office manager. And she began to weep and cry in her living room. And she said, I never would have believed in my entire life that anybody would ask me to serve in a role like that one. thought it was interesting. How long have you been this? Three years now? Four years? That it took that long. Because she's old. <clears throat> But it took that long. It's what you get for your. She knows what I'm talking about. I don't get mad. I just get even. But it's amazing to me that, that Sister Landry, seriously, it took God that long to connect her with a purpose that she never dreamed of. I love that story. How many more Sheila Landrys are in this building tonight that God's about to ask you to take on a task? that you never dreamed ever would happen.
asking you tonight against the backdrop of Calvary and the promise of heaven, just be open-minded. And y'all do that? I know you will. I know you will. I love this church, and we're going to see some great things. We're going to see some great things. On that note, I'm going to leave you thinking. I want you to go home and think and pray. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your kids. Talk to your parents, whatever the case is. And say, you know what? I'm going to be open to the will of God for my life. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed. And we will look forward to seeing you Sunday.